Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. 1 1. All right, Mark chapter 11. And uh, this has been, you know, looking back on what's been going on in our country and in our world, it's been quite, uh, quite an experience. Uh, this is always, uh, not always, this has recently, really recently become one of my more favorite times of year. Uh, when it comes springtime, I mean, springtime in Mississippi is just beautiful. It's just wonderful. And uh, when we come to this time of year, uh, I get excited about the leaves changing, uh, not really changing, the leaves uh, growing, the, everything coming back, flowers begin to bloom, and all the leaves come out. We went to a wedding uh, out of town. We were gone for a week, and when we came back, it was like everything just blew up. Everything bloomed everywhere over that course of that week, and uh, springtime has just become an exciting time for me. And uh, I think it's part of just, it's just part of getting old, I think. Um, I, I told my brother a while back, um, I'm becoming my dad. Uh, I, I get excited about the flowers and listening to the, the lawn and garden show on the radio and looking for tips on uh, what, how to take care of the, the plants and, and flowers and things like that on our property and all of that. And so uh, I guess it's just getting a little bit older, but this time has become one of my more favorite times of year. But I tell you what, this has been quiet. This has been a spring for the books. Uh, when we look back at where we were on January 1st, and, and even if you want to fast forward to March 1st, March 1st to, to now, if we can see how quickly the world has changed. And I just want to be honest with you, um, I'm sick of it. Yeah, I'm tired of this, and I will be so glad to get things back to normal. And uh, it reminds me of the time that uh, a Sunday school teacher uh, asked her kids if they would write a, uh, a letter to God. And it was around this time of year. One of the little boys wrote a letter and, uh, in Sunday school class, and he wrote it down, and he put in his letter, Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. And uh, that's kind of how I feel right now. We deserve a holiday between Christmas and Easter. I know Easter's right around the corner here, but we deserve a holiday there for everything that's been going on uh, here in our country. But, uh, but through this, we, uh, as Brother Heath just sang a few minutes ago, through it all, God's been good. And I'm encouraged to see the uh, uh, response of many of you through the, uh, through the messages, uh, through social media, ways we've been contacting and staying in touch with one another. It's been encouraging. Um, Brother Jeremiah mentioned our staff here. It's such an encouragement to be in a church staff where everyone is looking for ways to help. And uh, everyone has been so readily available and willing to step in and fill in the gap, step in places where we need help. And, and we've had to all somewhat adjust our, our method of work around here, and uh, just like everyone else has. But it's been such a great spirit and great attitude here, and it's been a wonderful thing. And uh, as well as many of our church members have contacted saying, what can I do to help? And uh, really so far, the patent answer has been just stay away. You're never going to hear that again. Uh, but this has been the answer for now, stay away. And by the way, I'll just make note of mention of this and then we'll jump into the message now. This is, has been different. I've heard from some people this has been really, really difficult, difficult to not be at church. And I've heard from some folks that this is great. This is awesome. I don't have to talk to people. Uh, regardless of your position on this, it's important to know the church is not the building. The church is not the building. We are the church. And the, church is work, the work of the church must continue on even though we're not meeting in the building. But having said that, the way things are right now is not what God intended. God intended for us to assemble together. 
So the time is going to come when all of this is at some point is going to pass, and the time is going to come for us to assemble back together. And I want to encourage you to remind you here that that is God's plan for us to assemble together and to be together in God's house. And so when that time comes, I hope you're looking forward to it, and you'll be excited to be back in the fellowship of, of other brothers and sisters in Christ here at the church again. Let's jump into the message tonight, Mark chapter 11, verse number 1. The Bible says, When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why you do this, say ye that the Lord hath need of him and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without a place, uh, without in a place where two ways met and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Of course, many of you know, understand today is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And as we look at uh, the anniversary of what took place on Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to look at the truths behind uh, these events. Uh, Some of this we discussed in our Lighthouse Couples class this morning. And uh, we're going to take a few lessons from this passage of Scripture here and really look at this thought tonight. Why did Jesus come this way? Why did he come this way? Why did he come into Jerusalem riding a colt? Why, did he, uh, why didn't he come with all of the hoopla and all of the uh, dramatic entrances that could have been provided for him? Why did he come this way? We're going to look at what the scripture teaches us uh, in the word of God as we look at Jesus preparing to go to the cross. Let's have a word of prayer now one more time, and then we'll jump right into the message today. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for our time that we can meet together uh, over the internet, that we can meet in one accord, opening your word, studying your word tonight. I pray that you bless the message tonight. Bless each one who's watching uh, via the internet, the live stream tonight. Again, I pray that you'd bless our country. Lord, we ask for you to heal our land. I pray that you would take this virus away. Lord, help us to be able to meet together very soon again and uh, continue to do your work. And we'll thank you, Lord, for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's important to remember, this is all during the festive season of the Passover. Jerusalem, at this time of year, very commonly was filled with a number of visitors. A lot of people came, travelers who had come from many, many different areas, many different places to share in the Passover feast. And some records indicate that there there were somewhere in the ballpark of possibly two to three million people in Jerusalem at this time of the year. And, uh, And so, the, the Old Testament prophecy was now getting ready to come to pass. Jesus had been in, uh, in Bethany and spent the, home, uh, spent the night at the home of friends in Bethany, not far from Jerusalem. And uh, many people around the world had convened on this area for the great Passover feast. Now, what we understand about the people who lived around Jerusalem is that on the south end, around the Mount of Olives, for years, that had been the camping ground of the Galileans and the people of Galilee. And these were, these were very common folk. These were unsophisticated, more what you would consider your blue-collar type people. And uh, they were the people of which of whom Jesus spent most of his time. And this is, this is the group of people of whom Jesus performed most of his miracles. They knew him best, and it was these people that the Bible says in John chapter 6, when Jesus therefore therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, 
he departed again into a mountain himself alone. They saw the miracles. They knew the power that he had on his life, and they were trying to make him their king. The Bible even says of these guys in Mark 12, 37, and the common people heard him gladly. So you have that group of people who are making their preparations uh, for Passover. Then in the city of Jerusalem, that's where you really have the wealthy, uppity, kind of the uh, uh, superficially religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. You have all of these folks who were very, very elite and very high up in their rankings when it comes to the uh, the Jewish religion. And Jesus had really, really irritated these people. Uh, He referred to these scribes and Pharisees as hypocrites. The Bible says in Matthew 23 again, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They didn't like him. All right, he, he called them out, called them hypocrites, told them you're full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but the inside is rotten. And I just really hammered these guys. And so with all of these groups of people, you have the religious elitists, the Jews who are now plotting to get rid of Jesus. You have these Galileans, these folks, they, they look to Jesus. They want to make him their king. They're behind him. They're supporting him. And so if you look at verse number nine of the passage of scripture we just read, you see two groups of people here quickly. They that went before, and then you see they that followed. Now, this really isn't the message here, but it's just a thought here. They that went before and they that followed. Those that went before could have been the people who came out of Jerusalem. They came out to see what all the, all the noise was about, what's all the uh, excitement about out here. They, they heard the people shouting and, and hollering and having palm branches and all this kind of stuff like a big parade route. And there were people that came out from Jerusalem that could have been the Jews who came out. And the people that followed him most likely could have been the Galileans who were following him into Jerusalem. And often when we hear that and we read in Scripture that the crowd cried, Hosanna, and then cried, crucify him. A lot of times I think we, we, we think that that's the same group of people. And, and honestly, it could have been. But there's a really good chance that these were two separate groups of people who were shouting Hosanna one day and the next group that was yelling crucify him later. And the question is this, what, what crowd would you have related to? What crowd would you have been part of? Um, in your day-to-day life, are you one that puts Jesus Christ to an open shame? You know, how we live our lives and really how we're handling all of this going on in the world right now. Are we handling this as children of God? Are we acting like every unsafe person in the world, living in fear and fret, living without any faith? Are we living a life of worldliness and sin? Are we saying one thing on the outside? Let me ask you this. What's your your real life like compared to your social media life? You know, your social profile may say things about how much you love the Lord and you can post all them amens and the messages. And those are good. And many of you are posting those things and those are great. But the question is this, is your social media profile the same as your personal life outside? Do those things coincide? Often we like to criticize the Pharisees, all the bunch of hypocrites, the Sadducees, man, those were wicked people. Jesus called them out, bunch of stinking hypocrites. And often, if we're not careful, we fit in the same pattern. We fit in the same mold. Or is your lifestyle a lifestyle of praising God? Is your lifestyle one that results in other people praising God? This ought to be our goal, especially in days like today. The Bible tells us that we're to have an answer for the hope that is within us. That means we have to have some hope within us. As Christians, we ought to have hope in what's going on in this world. We don't have all the answers. I don't understand what all, how, how everything is going to be fixed. I'm trusting those guys in Washington with what they're telling us. I'm trusting those doctors and everything that they're saying. But my hope is not in those guys. 
We're going to try to be obedient, be good citizens, but the world ought to see us as Christians today as different. They ought to see the hope that, w- that is within us being shown outwardly. They should not see someone who says, Jesus is my rock and in him is my trust, and I post that on social media, but yet I'm freaking out to everybody else in my life. We ought to be consistent in that area. So we got a couple of points here we're going to jump in today, uh, tonight, and then we'll be, be wrapped up here in just a few minutes. The first point uh, tonight, why did Jesus come the way that he did? Well, we're going to look at this tonight, the tools that he needed for his coming. Number one, the tools that he needed for his coming. First, first thing he needed was time. It had to be at the proper time. Time is critical in everything we do. And I would encourage you tonight, don't grow weary or be discouraged in waiting for God's timing in your life. Look, God has a time and a plan for what's going on in our country. Now, look, I'm talking to myself here as much as I am anybody else. I w- I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of this. I'm, I'm, I want things to get back to normal. Uh, uh, we went through Studio A, B, and C the other day. And I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of it. I want things to get back to the regular schedule, our regular method of doing things. But it's not time. God has his timing and his plan. Everything occurs according to God's timing, and his time is never wrong. You know, Passover was a celebration commemorating the deliverance of the Jews from from Egypt and from the Egyptian captivity. It happened the same time every year, you know, kind of mid-April for us. It happens the same time every year. And everyone who lived within a certain certain distance from Jerusalem was required to attend. Jews from all over the world came to be a part of this major event. And you have to understand, this was a very exciting time of year, kind of like Christmas time for us. It, there was a buzz. It was a buildup. People were excited. Roads were, were, were fixed and uh, uh, were prepared for people traveling in. Uh, I can imagine that, uh, that the, the cemeteries, the, the, the tombstones, and the mausoleums were all cleaned and ready for people and visitors to come in to visit. And I, I can imagine that children were, were taught, and uh, they probably had Passover plays, and kids were taught the importance of what we were doing. There was a big excitement in the air for what was taking place. When it comes to timing, the prophet Daniel foretold when this event would occur. When you get to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel explains and gives the time frame for when these events were going to take place. Jesus went to Bethany, now six days before the Passover, the book of John tells us, and he enters Jerusalem the next day. And in this act, God was further validating that Jesus was the Messiah. This may have all to everybody at that day may have seemed to be kind of impromptu, kind of a thrown together event, but it had been scheduled in eternity hundreds and hundreds of years before. And this was all just coming to fruition according to the prophecy of the Old Testament. God's timing is always right. The next thing they needed, the next tool that they needed was, uh, was supplies. And any project, and it's important you had the proper supplies. Jesus needed, what did he need? He needed a couple of donkeys. And uh, centuries earlier, the prophet Zechariah had said that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus knew where the supplies were that he needed. The Bible had already dictated. The Old Testament prophets had already prophesied of what was going to happen. Jesus knew where the supplies were that he needed. He needed a donkey that, that was prepared to help him fulfill an ancient prophecy. Now, even today, in our world today, the Lord needs us, needs certain things from us. He needs supplies. God's blessed us with things to be able to give back to him. 
You know, the Lord needs us to pray, to study, to give the gospel, to give financially. The Lord needs us to give the supplies that he's allowed us to use for his glory, for, to support his work. And we ought to do this eagerly. Man, we ought to give cheerfully. When it comes time to give, we ought not think, well, I got to talk about, we got to talk about giving again. We ought to jump in and give. When the day comes and there's an opportunity for us to join back together and take part in a project, we ought to jump on it. This is our opportunity to give back. How bad would it have been if the owner of the donkey said no? Think about that guy. You know, he had a big decision to make, and thankfully, he made the right call. So Jesus, Jesus had the authority to command this man to let him borrow this donkey. He gave the opportunity to the owner to refuse it. The question is this, are you withholding what God needs from you? Are you withholding what God's given you? Are some of the resources needed by, the, by God and the work of his church being hoarded by you? The Lord's given us tools to use to serve him. Let's be ready. Let's be willing to give the tools, the time, the money, the effort, the resources that God's given us. Let's be ready to give those back to him. Number two, the next thing we see is the purpose of his coming. The purpose of his coming. Of course, we understand that Jesus Christ came. He came to Jerusalem at this time for the crucifixion, for the purpose of saving the world. Now, Let's go backwards here just a little bit in the history books here. In the 170s B.C., about 170 or so years before Christ was born, there was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was an ancient Greek king who conquered Jerusalem. He had come in. He had profaned the temple. He had made a mockery of all the things that the Jews were doing and, uh, and all of their religious practices. Finally, a group of, 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 uh, of men formed an army, got frustrated, got so upset, formed an army together. Three years later, a guy by the name of Judah Maccabee gets a group of people together, and they recapture Jerusalem, and they physically go in, and they cleanse the temple. I mean, they physically cleaned it up because it was, it was used for such vile, wicked things. They came in and cleaned it up. Now, Christ comes to the temple, and he's coming to cleanse it. But not just clean it up outwardly, he came to cleanse it spiritually from the hypocritical defilement of those religious leaders. And this is what God, what Jesus came to, to do in our lives. This is why God sent his son to us for the same reason, to clean us up spiritually. A spiritual cleansing is a joyous thing and it's something that is profitable to us. Jesus came not only to save, but he came to forgive as well. He was called king and Lord. You know, the Greek word for Lord is the word kurios. It's used in various ways in the scripture, but it was used as a title of respect. Kind of like down in the South where we, we teach our kids to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. It was used in that way. It was also used for one who was in charge. Luke used that term referring to the Lord of the vineyard, the curios, the Lord of the vineyard. And it was also a sign of deity here. The Romans mistakenly took that title and applied it to Caesar. They called him Curio Caesar, calling him divinity. And the question is this, is he the one, is he one, is, is Jesus one that you respect who has authority over you as divine God. Look, with everything that's going on in this world right now, do we allow in our own lives, do we allow the Lord to have to be Lord of our lives, to have authority over us? Lord, however you direct my path, I'm submissive to that. Whatever trial that you're allowing us to go through and however this impacts me personally, I'm, I'm going to submit to what you're teaching me and what you're allowing to take place in my life. Is he really our Lord? 
or are we fighting back against what he's allowed to take place in our lives? Next, we see number three here, the reaction to his arrival. The reaction to his arrival. You know, the Bible says all things were created by him and for him. The Bible teaches us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Of all the things that he could have ridden in on, if it was me, I would have come in like Aladdin on the big elephant or something, man. It would have been grand. It would have been a big deal. Jesus comes in with a donkey. He rides an animal that's associated with peace and humility. And Jesus is coming in, king of kings, riding on a donkey, showing peace and humility. He wears a cloak. He comes in to a crowd of people who are putting down palms and palm branches. Now, again, back to Judah Maccabeus here and the Maccabees, uh, you see this, uh, this common theme that took place with, uh, uh, with the people of, uh, with the Jewish people when the Maccabees conquered the Greeks. They put down palms. This was a sign of victory. It was a, the palm leaf was something that was on the, the money and the coins that, was used, that were used by the Jewish people. This was a symbol of the Hasmonean kingdom and uh, their victory over the Greeks. And by the way, this was the last time that that the Jews had a sovereign nation. So the Galileans are seeing Jesus come in. They've seen him do all these great miracles. They've heard him proclaim that he is the king of kings, that he is going to rule and reign. And they break out all the palm branches, and they lay out all the palm leaves, and they're ready for a military uprising. They're ready for him to come in. And if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can wipe out the Roman Empire easily. And this is what they're looking for here. And you see this turning to a, a big point here where we see a, this Passover week. The Jews are celebrating their, their release from Egypt hundreds of years before. And it all is culminating in their minds to Jesus coming in, releasing us from this Jewish onslaught and control over us. And he's going to establish himself king. And it's all coming together at the right time on the calendar. And it was a, all the perfect storm of misinterpretation. They completely misinterpreted why Jesus came. The Jewish people misunderstood the the intention of his arrival. And then they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. They're chanting Psalm 118, and they're preparing for Jesus to come in to save them. Then we see last point here, number four, and we'll be done here in just a few minutes here. Number four, the result of his arrival. The result of his arrival, many expected and wanted him to be their military liberator. They were tired of being ruled by the Romans. They wanted their own, their own authority and their own sovereignty again. Many people wanted to ignore him. The Romans felt superior to this lowly Nazarene guy, and they wanted to ignore him. But they were made aware of his deity. Some wanted to obey and worship him. They had seen him perform these miracles. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Some wanted to believe him. But then Jesus comes, and what's the result of his arrival? Difficult days came. Difficult days came. And I can't tell you today, church, there will be days when life is difficult, and it seems we have no hope. I heard, a, I didn't hear these the exact statistic, but I heard a number and I don't remember exactly what the figures were, but the number of people in our country uh, and around uh, in our country, but, but even around the world who have committed suicide during this season of life for us because they just simply have no hope and they have so much fear. They would rather die than fall prey and victim to a virus. These are people that have no hope. 
And often in our own lives, we see these great times of difficulty. And if we're not careful, as Brother Jeremiah mentioned a few minutes ago, as the days move on and we hear more and more bad news, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I sat yesterday and I was working on uh, some things on the computer and I was listening to the president speak. <clears throat> and it was disheartening. The president said the next two weeks are going to be very difficult weeks. It's going to be very tough. You know, for a little bit there, man, my heart sank. And I'm thinking, you know, where is our hope? I mean, things, things are not getting any better. And often in our lives, it can seem like we have no hope. But when we go back to the story here, it looked like there was no hope with Jesus going to the cross. Jesus is placed on trial. He's brutally beaten. And then he's crucified and he's hung on a cross until he's dead. Everything seemed hopeless. But Easter Sunday was right around the corner. The completion of his plan was imminent. Now, the people didn't know that. His disciples didn't understand that. People didn't understand what he was doing. They thought he was the military leader coming in to overthrow the Roman Empire, and we're going to have our freedom and liberty back. And now he's been crucified. And now he's dead. Although things seem hopeless, good news was around the corner. We know that we belong to a sovereign God. And we teach that, we preach that, and we believe that. We know that we belong to a God who does not sleep and does not slumber. He's on the throne, and the Bible tells us he is working all things for good to them that love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And church, that verse still applies to us today. We know that he's working all things, even all these things going on in the world, for our good. So why did Jesus come the way that he did? That week... He was working all things for good. It was not what the masses wanted him to do, but what he knew that they needed and that all of us needed, and that's a Savior. So the thought is this tonight, and we'll be done. Whether it be fear over this worldwide pandemic virus, whether it be fear over a lost job, fear over cut hours, fear over how we're going to pay the bills and what are we going to do next, I would encourage you today to be encouraged. Be encouraged that a sovereign God who's in control still sits on the throne. You are not forgotten. In the midst of all the suffering, loss, trials, tragedy, trust in God to bring about a blessing. In your life, all hope may seem lost, but next Sunday is Easter. Let's pray together tonight. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity.